Good Sunday morning to you. Susie Jones is on her way back from Italy. And she'll be back next Sunday, as a matter of fact. But in the meantime, Danny Long here filling in for uh, Susie till she does uh, return. And uh, good morning to you. Welcome to another hour of Health Talk here on CCO. You're always welcome, of course, to join in on the conversation either by phone or by text. We'll get you that number in a moment. Let's say good morning, though, to Dr. Andrew Steam, who's a pulmonologist and sleep medicine specialist with Alina Health here in the uh, Twin Cities area. Uh, Dr. Steam, I know you've been with us uh, before, but uh, good morning. Thanks for joining us again. Oh, good morning. It's my pleasure. Uh, for those that maybe missed uh, the, the last time you were on, c- could we please uh, get a little background? We always like to uh, to know a little bit of uh, your uh, local history, if you will. Like, where did you grow up and what kind of education and, and what brought you to become a, pulmonolog- a pulmonologist and a sleep medicine specialist? Oh, well, I'm originally from Edina and was a graduate from high school out there. Uh, and then after high school, I went out to Los Angeles to uh, do my undergraduate in medical education at the University of Southern California, and then came back and did my specialty and subspecialty training more locally at uh, the Mayo Clinic and the University of Minnesota. Um, I, originally, I fell in love with the doctors uh, that did pulmonary and sleep medicine. I just kind of saw myself as one of those people, uh, and then uh, subsequently fell in love with the medicine. Um, and in different ways. Uh, sleep medicine is very uh, exciting for me because I can take people who have a lot of symptoms that burden their day-to-day life and really fix those and make them feel significantly better. Uh, and lung medicine, um, the lungs are a little bit hard to biopsy, so there's always a, a, a bit more of a, a diagnostic challenge and kind of a puzzle to figure out, and so I really enjoy trying to figure out those puzzles. And uh, those uh, two fields have always had a lot of interest for me. Oh, very good. Uh, again, we're going to be talking about your lungs, and we'll, uh, we may de- delve into uh, sleep medicine uh, as well uh, this morning, if, if time should allow. What kind of uh, lung problems, and boy, you know, we wanted to talk to you, especially in light of uh, the, 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 the air these days uh, around CCO line. I mean, things have been tough for some people. Uh, I know my wife and I will talk about uh, if we go outside during these times, it's like, well, she seemed to be coughing a little bit more. And what kind of problems can some people have given the condition of our air lately? The uh, biggest uh, vulnerable patients are going to be our asthmatic patients. Uh, Those that are uh, tend to have their lungs spasm uh, when irritated by things, you know, and so people are probably fairly familiar with people with dust allergies or cat allergies or dog allergies. Uh, but similarly, the, the particulate matter and the ozone, those are things that can cause kind of the lungs to clamp down. Uh, and they cause uh, uh, cough, chest discomfort, shortness of breath. Um, ozone can also cause some irritation like sore throat uh, and sore eyes. And so we've really seen uh, people with a lot more of these complaints. Uh, the, the number of calls I've had in the last couple of weeks with people feeling their asthma is flaring, reaching out for more medicine or more help is higher than it would normally be. Maybe you could describe what, uh, for those that uh, don't have it, what, what is asthma? What, what, what kind of uh, symptoms does one have? The asthma is a uh, disease primary of the windpipes of the lung. Uh, and so the windpipes are normally like a, a four-lane highway where traffic is moving pretty easily on a four-lane highway. 
and then patients will breathe in something to which they're irritated or allergic, like dog hair or dog dander. Um, and then that allergic irritation causes some inflammation and then tightening of that four-lane highway. And so that four-lane highway now comes down to being like a two-lane highway. And traffic, it doesn't move as well. And so it's harder to get air in, and in particular, it's harder to get air out. Uh, and as a consequence, these people will report shortness of breath. They'll, they'll feel a sensation of tightness in their chest. Uh, the lungs will often cause uh, coughing. Um, they get a little bit more musical, um, and that spasming will cause a wheeze, like if you were blowing through a kazoo or a flute, would make some extra noises. Um, and uh, that's what people with asthma uh, will often report whenever they're exposed to something that their lungs spasm in reaction to. If you have uh, breathing problems, if you have a question about your lungs, this uh, what we're talking about this morning on our health show, uh, call us or text us. Uh, Dr. Esteem answering your questions this morning at 651-461-9226, 651-461-9226. That'll work for either a phone call or a uh, text message. Um, what about uh, when folks come and see you, what, what kind of testing? Uh, if somebody comes in, and, you know, with various symptoms, and I wanted to ask, too, I would imagine you kind of work often with allergists, do you not? Yes, we very much do. Uh, at, at Alina Health, our allergists are, are very much partners in the care of the asthmatic patient, as, as they are in, in many other systems, uh, because allergy is a common trigger uh, for so many of these pulmonary disorders. Uh, the testing a patient uh, with asthma or many lung disease can expect to have uh, range from the very simple uh, pulse oximeter, uh, which particularly in the area uh, era of COVID, people kind of understand. That's that little thing that touches the finger and measures uh, your oxygen levels. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that we'll measure is something called spirometry, which is a test where we actually uh, measure how much air you're able to blow out of your lungs, and then similarly how fast that air is moving. What we're actually doing is seeing how fast your traffic is moving and seeing if you're having any degree of spasm. Um, another test that we'll commonly get is a test where you measure the, the, the uh, uh, inf- uh, allergic inflammation in your lungs. We actually have you blow out and we measure uh, nitric oxide to see how much uh, allergic inflammation there is in your lungs that we can measure indirectly by measuring that nitric oxide. Hey, well, I know we have to take a break here. As we head to this break, I'm looking at a text, uh, doctor, that was just sent in by a listener. And maybe when we come back, we can do, uh, do uh, talk about this. Uh, pul- the question is pulmonary fibrosis. Is there a treatment? Is it always fatal? Let's talk about that. Maybe you can help us define that and uh, talk about uh, pulmonary fibrosis when we come back here on our health show on News Talk 830. This is WCCO. Stay with us. 721 on a Sunday morning. Denny Long in for Susie in the Twin Cities overcast 65. Could be raining where you are. There are chances of more showers heading our way. Highs today near 73. We'll have a look at that weather forecast coming along in a few minutes. In the meantime, if you're just joining us, thank you for doing so. We are in the midst of our health hour this morning talking with Dr. Andrew Steam, who's a pulmonologist and sleep medicine specialist with Alina Health here in the Twin Cities. We're talking about your lungs, uh, breathing problems, things like that. And uh, Dr. Steam, we're getting a lot of questions from our listeners via the uh, text screen, and we'll pass those along. But as I mentioned, as uh, just heading into the break, this listener was talking about pulmonary fibrosis. 
Uh, their question is, is there a treatment and is it always fatal? Maybe you can tell us what exactly that is. Absolutely. Uh, pulmonary fibrosis is uh, lung scarring. Uh, it's kind of an uh, overarching term of multiple diseases, and there are many things that can cause the lung to scar. Um, there are more innocuous things that can cause the lungs to scar, like having a pneumonia uh, or having radiation therapy to your chest, say, for breast cancer. Uh, and those things will damage the lungs, and as a result, uh, after, uh, the lungs will leave a scar. Um, then there are other diseases that can cause progressive lung scarring, meaning the lungs continue to scar. Um, and there's another family of diseases that can do that, uh, like a lupus um, or uh, medications uh, that can cause the lungs to scar. And then there's another family of diseases that we call, uh, or a, a disease called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which means the lungs are just kind of progressively scarring and we don't know why. Um, for all of the lung scarring uh, diagnoses, the first thing that we try to do is find out why. Why are the lungs scarring? Because everything is about the why. If the why was a limited event, then really this is kind of a benign thing. The lungs are doing what they're supposed to do. But if there's some disease in the background that's causing the lungs to keep scarring, we need to find out what that disease is and, and, then, and then try to treat it. And some of those diseases are very treatable. Uh, they require medications and we can manage it. There are other diseases like idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis that tends to kind of just slowly keep marching on. Um, and we do have medicines and therapies that can slow it, uh, but we do not have a therapy uh, yet that can stop it. Um, and so it depends on which pulmonary fibrosis disease you have, uh, but all of them have therapies and all of them have things that we can do, uh, but we're better at managing certain diagnoses than others. All right, very good. Uh, you had mentioned earlier in the show uh, COVID, and the listener says the effect on the lungs and breathing from COVID, does it ever go away is their question. Yes and no. Uh, again, it's, COVID doesn't have one effect on the lungs. Um, the, the, some of the most common post-COVID and long-haul complaints of COVID are shortness of breath and cough. Uh, for the vast majority of people, those do get better. Uh, although for some, very frustratingly slow. We do see at about the six-month mark that most people, even with lingering complaints, uh, those have uh, significantly improved or resolved by the six-month mark, with shortness of breath holding on the longest. Um, COVID, uh, particularly when you have the more severe cases, can also cause pulmonary fibrosis, and it can lead to scarring and, and permanent damage in the lungs, which once you have a scar, you have a scar. Uh, that, that doesn't go away. Uh, and that scar does interfere with the normal lung function. So some of those people can have a, a permanent degrees of shortness of breath or cough or lung damage. So everything in between completely reversible to persistent uh, shortness of breath or cough are possible. And it kind of requires a case-by-case -case evaluation. If you have a question for Dr. Steen, pulmonologist, sleep medicine specialist uh, with Alina Health here in the Twin Cities about the lungs, breathing, things like that, call us or text us, 651-461-9226. Another interesting question, doctor. Uh, does anesthesia have any long-term effects on the lungs? Uh, generally speaking, no. Uh, there are weird uh, or unusual uh, things that could happen under anesthesia, like allergy or uh, bronchospasm, which is like an allergic uh, asthma-type reaction. Uh, but in general, uh, no. Okay.
Now, this one you're going to have to help me with. Um, I've heard of bronchitis, and we should talk about that uh, in, in a moment or two. But this listener says, I have a friend with it looks like bronchitis, but it looks like bronchstasis or something like that. Uh, how close is, uh, is am I to that one? Um, I, I think that your listener is probably trying to use the word bronchiectasis. Yes. Um, and I, I hope I hope I'm, I'm interpreting correctly. Um, bronchitis itis just means irritation or inflammation. Uh, we we know about tonsillitis uh, as an example, where our tonsils get inflamed or irritated, usually by a cold. Well, bronchitis is when the bronchus or the windpipes of the lungs are irritated. There are infectious or inflammatory or allergic causes of that bronchitis, and the most common symptom of which is just cough. And most of those are very treatable. Bronchiectasis is where those windpipes become damaged. Um, they're not just inflamed, but they're actually damaged and scarred. Uh, they, as a consequence, actually become a little bit more dilated, so they get bigger than they normally are by virtue of that damage. Uh, they get a little bit thinner, um, which makes them floppy and can result in kind of more shortness of breath for those folks. They get runnier, uh, and so they make more mucus, and they result in a lot more cough. Um, so persons with bronchiectasis will often have more cough, um, more recurrent infections, um, more phlegm production, uh, and often a little bit more shortness of breath. It depends on how severe and extensive that bronchiectasis is. Uh, but bronchiectasis is is considered permanent damage. Uh, once once you have that, it's 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 again akin to a scar in the lungs. And once you have it, you have it. Well, you've answered that. So their second question: Is there any treatment to reverse it? Uh, you've just answered that. Uh, if you have a question for the doctor, again, uh, either by phone or by text, six five one four six one nine two two six. Let's grab another one before uh, we take a break for weather. Uh, Danny, would you please ask the doctor, is it ever good, good question here, to put anything in your lungs besides fresh air? That includes smoke from cigarettes and pot. That's been uh, a lot of dialogue about uh, the legalization of marijuana. And for those folks that did smoke it and maybe will, uh, how good is that for you as far as smoking that material? And it's not good is the short answer. Um, there's, I mean, your lungs are really designed to just breathe in air. Uh, and anything above and beyond that does have a potential negative consequences. We all know of the negative consequences of cigarette smoke, uh, increased risk of bronchitis, COPD, pneumonias, and lung cancer. Um, marijuana uh, smoking um, has been associated with similar findings, although usually the amount consumed is lower than with cigarettes, uh, but there is clearly some damage, bronchitis, and increased risk. Cigar smoke is the same way. Um, we probably all remember the the vaping uh, lung illness that was, I mean, was killing kids uh, just a couple of years back because of, of the things that they were vaping, uh, particularly in the THC-containing vape cartridges. Um, and and uh, what we thought was innocuous at the time was putting kids on ventilators and causing lung failure. Um, and so... As in most things in medicine, it's the susceptibility of the host uh, in some regards. You know, some people might be able to be by a dog and tolerate it just fine, and some people might be by a dog and it puts them in the emergency department because they've got such a bad lung reaction. Um, and there are some people out there that can smoke for decades and not suffer any severe long-term consequences, and some poor people that might smoke just for 10 years and be left with some permanent irreversible lung disease. 
And so uh, the, the best gamble is to do none of the above uh, and not expose your lungs to anything that could be damaging them. Makes sense. We will take a break, Doctor. Hang on. We have a little less than a half hour of the show to go. If you have any kind of a question about your lungs, your breathing, 651-461-9226. Dr. Andrew Steam, who's a pulmonologist and sleep medicine specialist with Alina Health, joining us this morning. Here on News Talk 830, this is WCCO. 7.36 on a Sunday morning. Denny and for Susie, she'll be back next week in the midst of our health hour this morning, welcoming your phone calls or text messages at 651-461-9226. We're talking this morning with Dr. Andrew Steam, who's a pulmonologist and sleep medicine specialist at Alina Health here in the Twin Cities. Lung problems, we're talking about those specifically uh, this morning. And again, appreciate your text. And Doctor, we do, uh, we do have many of them, many questions coming in via text from our listener. Here's one. Uh, the listener says, when I started doing deep breathing for meditation, uh, they always coughed when the lung was full, also when the breath was almost all out. Uh, he or she says, I no longer cough when full and expelled. Now, the question, one of them, why did I use the cough? And do you think, does deep breathing help maintain lung health? The answer to the last question is yes. Um, and the part of what happens when you're normally breathing is the bottom parts of the lungs in particular um, don't fully open up. Uh, you know this uh, because when you take a deep breath, you can get so much more air in, and there's so much more of the balloon that's the, of the lung that fills and opens. Well, some of that balloon down there isn't used to opening, and so when you fill it with air, some of just the normal moisture mucus um, is now exposed to that air and able to be coughed up and out. So that's one of the reasons that the people, when they start taking deep breaths, will have a cough is because there's a new part of the lung that just opened up and you've got to keep it clean and get the mucus out. Uh, when you're deflating your lungs, um, the, 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 the lungs start to get closer to each other. As, as you can imagine, as a balloon deflates, the walls of the balloon start to get closer to the other side and sometimes might even touch at the other side, and that's another source of, of irritation. Um, and that also can start to cause in some cough, just the irritation both of fully opening and fully closing uh, the lungs. And just with time, um, those, those, those parts of your lungs get used to that, and you can see that cough improve. Um, so that's one of the explanations. There are others, but that's just one of the good ones. All right. Another interesting question just in that uh, says, can poor posture affect lung function? In a, a similar way to what we were just mentioning, um, one of the common complaints I'll have, my patients with lung disease tell me, is that when they're tying their shoes uh, or bending over, they will feel more short of breath. Um, and what's happening is, is the, the belly uh, starts to be pushed up into the lungs. And so you have the diaphragm, the muscle that separates the chest cavity from the belly cavity. And when you bend over, you kind of squish the belly and you get pushed up on that diaphragm, um, which takes away some of the lungs. Some of the lung that you have when you're upright that you could use for breathing, when you bend over, you don't have. 
Um, and it results in that sensation of shortness of breath in that posture. Similarly, um, people that kind of uh, slump their shoulders or may have some scoliosis or curvature of the spine, similarly, the lungs are just a little bit squished out of position, and it can result in them not working the way they're supposed to, which can cause some shortness of breath. Okay. This uh, text uh, says, I was a, a firefighter back in the 80s and inhaled superheated air and some toxic chemicals. Uh, what kind of diseases uh, th- that you're talking about this morning could uh, I end up having? The uh, most common would be irritation at the time. So at the time, it causes a cough, it causes shortness of breath. Uh, but over the long haul, uh, repeated exposures uh, can start to cause uh, more permanent changes. Uh, it can lead to some degrees of emphysema. It can lead to, with significant enough exposure, some increased risk of uh, cancer or scarring. Um, but as in most things, it's, it's kind of amount and duration. You know, is that first cigarette going to cause a problem for most people? No. Uh, it's that one thousandth or one millionth that's going to cause the problem. And so that one-time exposure is probably not going to lead to anything long-term, but a repeated exposure, someone who perhaps works in that environment daily, uh, will have increased risk over the long haul. Text number 651-461-9226. It's also the phone number. Uh, this listener, Dr. Steam, had a brief exposure to a small amount of a powdered uh, chemo- uh, chemotherapy drug, and they say they have asthma and allergies. Does exposure to certain chemotherapy drugs, can that scar the lungs, generally speaking? Uh, generally speaking, most patients do not experience that, but there clearly are a subset of people that do have uh, drug reactions to chemotherapies and, and really any medicine um, theoretically could have that rare risk. Um, there, for instance, some antibiotics can cause lung scarring as well. Uh, and so it's one of those case-by-case situations. If, if you're worried that that did occur to you, it's one of the things that you can get checked out and and we can see if there is any lung damage or consequence from that chemotherapy. Okay. This listener, boy, we have so many text messages. A listener says, I had surgery for a perforated ulcer and was given a volumetric incentive spirometer. You're going to have to help me with that. Why and should I still be using it? The um, why is because after abdominal surgeries in particular, but any surgery is possible, Um, you tend to be laying in a bed. And so you're not taking deep breaths, uh, and those parts of the lungs start to not fill with air, something we've already kind of talked about. And and when they deflate, you're not using them as well as efficiently as you should. Um, Particularly then when you have abdominal surgery, and actually every breath that you take, when when it moves your belly contents, you really don't want to take that breath. That breath really hurts. So we see a lot of patients in the hospital who aren't taking full deep breaths, particularly before they start walking and they're still stuck in bed and they're still having belly pain. And so we use those incentive spirometers to try to force patients to take nice, big, deep breaths and fill the lungs completely. It it improves their cough. It improves their oxygen saturations after surgical therapies. 
Um, while most uh, patients will not need to use it long term, once someone's up and walking, that kind of replaces the need for the incentive spirometer. So my, my typical advice to a patient is when you're up walking at least four times a day, like most of us do, at least on a day-to-day basis, by that point, you don't need the incentive spirometer anymore. There may be exceptional patients who might need to do it for a longer term, uh, but most patients, once they're up walking, uh, they don't need to use it anymore. All right, very good. I know we're up against the clock to do a little bit of a break here. When we come back, I'd be remiss if I did not, uh, we did not talk about COPD. When we come back, uh, maybe you could define it for us, and uh, we'll just talk about COPD for a while. We have more text messages as well. If you're just joining us, Dr. Andrew Steen, pulmonologist, sleep medicine specialist with Alina Health here in the Twin Cities, answering those lung problems this morning. Here on News Talk 830 WCCO, please stay with us. 7.48 in the morning, Central Time, from the cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. We're in the midst of our health hour this morning. Denny in for Susie. We're talking this morning with Dr. Andrew Steam, who is a pulmonologist and a sleep medicine specialist with Alina Health here in the Twin Cities, answering those lung problems, your breathing problems this morning. Just before the break, Doctor, I wanted to ask you, maybe you could define, we could talk about COPD. Do you see a lot of it in your practice? Is there more of it these days? And what exactly is COPD? Yeah, I, I see a lot of COPD in my practice. Uh, it, it's one of the principal diagnoses that lung doctors will help take care of. Um, it stands for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, um, and it's, it's, it's a lung disease, which is the pulmonary disease component, characterized by chronic obstruction. Um, and obstruction means difficulty getting the air out of the lungs, something I've already talked about a little bit, like with asthmatics. Um, what happens, uh, there, there are two main kinds of COPD uh, that we will typically see. One is kind of emphysema. Uh, and emphysema is typically uh, in, seen in smokers where when you inhale smoke, uh, that smoke damages the elasticity of the lungs. And so if you can think of a really elastic balloon, when you inflate it, uh, and then let the air out, the air squirts out really fast because that balloon is squeezing really well. Um, and then the less elastic the balloon, the less it squeezes and the slower the air comes out. And so that's what's happening in our patients with emphysema is their lungs don't squeeze like they're supposed to, and so the air isn't getting out of the lungs as well as it should, uh, and that results in problems. Uh, there's also a, kind of a, the chronic bronchitis version, which is that kind of smoker's cough version, where smoke uh, and cigarettes over years of use uh, have led to uh, inflammation uh, and constriction of the airways, where what used to be a four-lane highway is now inflamed and damaged and only a two-lane highway. That also is extra runny and making extra mucus. Um, and that also results in the chronic difficulty getting air out because you've lost your four-lane highway. And so these patients uh, with COPD will often report that kind of phlegmy cough, although there are some that just have shortness of breath. But it's kind of chronic cough, shortness of breath, some chest discomfort, um, and difficulty being as active as they used to be. That's that's what we typically see with someone with COPD. Um, and fortunately, we do have a lot of therapies available uh, to improve the symptoms of COPD. Uh, but as in many things, once the damage is done, the damage is done. We can't fix it. We can only improve the symptoms that COPD is causing for our patients. 
This other text doctor says, uh, what is the optimal usage of inhalers? We haven't talked about that yet. It varies a little bit inhaler to inhaler. Uh, and I think it's something that we, uh, when we see our patients, uh, we regularly have to re-educate and remind and show patients how to reuse their inhaler. Um, but some of the common mistakes that, that we'll see is um, the first thing that you have to do is kind of completely exhale, try to get all the air out of your lungs so that when you start to use the inhaler, you have the ability to take a nice deep breath. Um, then you have to squeeze your inhaler, which, which is a device that contains medicine that you're designed to breathe in so it reaches the lungs. So you exhale out, and then when you start to breathe in, you have to squirt or activate the device, depending on what kind of device it is, and inhale that medicine deep into your lungs. Um, then you actually, for most inhalers, have to hold your breath. Once you've inhaled that medicine in, you try to hold it for 10 seconds to let the medicine really distribute throughout the lungs. Um, and so it's a way that we can deliver medicine into the lungs to try to help with airway irritation or airway spasm or airway allergy as some examples. And so it's a mainstay therapy for a lot of lung disorders are the inhaled medications. When uh, listeners uh, go in for uh, just a physical, basically their annual or wh- however it, it, how often it is these days for some folks, if there's no issues, I suppose they don't uh, talk about it. But is there a, a routine people should have besides getting you know their blood work done? Is there uh, should there be tests of your lungs from time to time? Or what's what's the story on that? There, um, the the. Main recommendation for a routine lung test exists mainly among smokers. Um, And so there are some smokers who should be getting regular CAT scans to screen for lung cancer. Just like uh, you might get a pap smear looking for cervical cancer or a breast uh, mammogram looking for breast cancer or a colonoscopy looking for colon cancer. The earlier we detect the cancer, the more curable it is. And we've learned that uh, folks at higher risk for lung cancer, so particularly the smokers, um, if we start doing CAT scans regularly of their lungs, um, then we're able to detect lung cancer at an earlier stage uh, so that we have a greater likelihood of curing the lung cancer. Um, otherwise, uh, the, the, it's really checking your oxygen is not an inappropriate thing to be doing on a regular basis. Um, making sure that your oxygen levels are okay. And then uh, mainly we do things dictated by complaints. Uh, So there really isn't a routine test other than that CAT scan that we recommend for asymptomatic patients. But if you're short of breath or coughing or having some degree of chest tightness or exertional intolerance, then we do recommend additional evaluation. Just a couple of minutes to go on the show, Doctor. Again, appreciate your your appearance today. What exercises, this listener says, what exercises help lung capacity? In general, any exercise is a lung exercise. So anything that gets you breathing deeply, opening up the lungs, using your rib muscles, using your neck muscles to help you breathe are things that you can do to keep the lungs in good shape. Um, The American Lung Association has a good website that does talk about breathing exercises so that if you're uh, Listeners wanted to refer to kind of a website that might show them and coach them on some breathing exercises. There are good examples there. 
Um, also, most institutions like, like us at Alina Health have a program called pulmonary rehabilitation, uh, which is a course designed for people with lung problems to learn all those healthy lung exercises that you could do to get your lungs into good shape. Excellent. Dr. Seem, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your expertise this morning. A lot of insight, a lot of information. I know we could have gone for another hour or so, but I, I, I do appreciate your time today. And uh, we got to have you back here on CCO. Oh, the pleasure is mine. It's always fun to be here, Denny. Thanks so much. Dr. Andrew Steam, who is a pulmonologist and, we didn't talk about it, but he is also a sleep medicine specialist with Alina Health here in the Twin Cities. Yeah, we're going to have him back. Speaking of coming back, Susie Jones will be back next Sunday morning in her usual place. And coming up next hour, our friends uh, Bruce and Peg with uh, the Wealth Enhancement Group will have another edition of Your Money. So stay tuned for that. Here's what we can expect weather-wise in the Twin Cities. Chances, showers, and thunderstorms. Boy, do we need it, at least in our neck of the woods. Uh, What's the high today? Going to be about 73 or so. And maybe a chance of showers overnight, a slight chance tomorrow. But in the meantime, as we get ready for your money, West Winds at 6, dew point 61, 87% humidity. It's overcast. CCO temp 65 degrees. Stay with us.